Hi, dear listeners. It's Terry McDougall, your host of Marketing Mambo. And one of the things that I love most about hosting Marketing Mambo is the truly fascinating stories that I get to bring to you. There is no one right way or formula about how to become a brilliant marketer. So my guest today is Donnie Bovine. He is an award-winning professional sales trainer, a top 200 iTunes podcaster, a Marine Corps veteran, and the owner of his own profitable success champions business. And I'll let him talk to you more about that. One of the most important things I learned from Donnie is how to use podcasting to efficiently win more customers. And speaking of winning, if you would like to get more return on the investment of time and energy that you put in at work every day, take a look at my book, Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. In this Amazon bestselling book, I share the unwritten rules that nobody tells you about how to get ahead at work. Some of them I learned the hard way, some of them I learned from wise mentors, and some of them I learned from highly compensated coaches. So if you'd like to be successful and happy at work, check it out on Amazon. And now, without further ado, let the Mambo begin. Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. So Donnie, tell me, how did you get started in marketing? For me... Marketing slash sales has always been the game I've been into. So I really come from a sales background. And how it started was when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to work for my best friend and his father in an HVAC company, except I was a grunt. So I was a guy under the houses, in the attics, and I just hated it. There was no fun in it whatsoever, especially in Texas in 100 degree summers. So I was actually getting ready to quit when my boss, Jerry, walked up to me and he's like, you're going to quit, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, this sucks. I'm out. And he goes, well, before you quit, we're going to try something. I'm like, what are we going to try? And he goes, you're going to try sales. I'm like, what is sales? You know, I'm a 22-year-old kid. I don't know anything from anything. And he goes, I'm going to hand you a bunch of pamphlets and brochures, and you're going to go door to door and see if somebody will let us look at their HVAC system. And literally, that's how I cut my teeth. And my response was, I don't have to crawl in attics and under houses. I can just wear whatever I want to, nice clothes and go door. Count me in, because then I'm not doing all the real work of fixing heating and air conditioning systems. Yeah, so. crawl, yeah crawling around. I know. I, I was in Dallas a couple of years ago in August, and oh my gosh, <laughs> I felt like I was going to faint every time I walked mm. outside. You need that HVAC for sure. Oh, Um, dude. I don't remember the name of the guy who invented it, but he's my hero. Absolute (laughs) hero. Yeah. Well, so I think that's really interesting because a lot of people really shy away from sales. And given where you came from, you were probably like, this is not hard. Somebody slamming the door in my face that the possibility of that versus having to climb into somebody's crawl space whenever (laughs) it's 100 degrees and it's probably 120 under the house. (laughs) Yeah, it was a definite upgrade. The hottest attic we ever went into, I think was 144 degrees. Um, And we had to put a furnace in and we did it in like five minute stints. One person would go up, put in one screw, come down. The next person would go up. Yeah. 
So, oh so anything not to do that was an upgrade. Yeah. So, well, tell me, how long did you do that kind of sales? All together for that particular type of sales, I probably did it for about a year and a half. And I took that company from 300000 to $3 million in that time because we got them out of residential and took them into commercial because I realized a lot more money in commercial and it was just an easier sales process versus trying to work your way into someone's home to have a conversation. But all in, I've spent 25 years in the sales game straight okay. commission the entire run yeah so did you keep doing the hvac stuff or did you move on from there to do something different yeah no i was recruited by a pharmacy franchise company called medicine shop that was later bought out by cardinal health and i was part of the franchise sales team there and that was my first corporate america experience where you got to wear the suits and drive the right cars and talk the certain ways and, and everything there i got corporate downsized Bartended for a couple of years, which was the best sales training I've ever done. Because you got to deal with people in their absolute worst state of mind and their absolute best state of mind. Then from there, I was recruited out from right behind the bar to go do commercial printing. And I sold commercial printing for seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, my largest clients were Mary Kay, Home Depot, Motorola, Lowe's. And then I left that after the 08, 09 downturn. I actually left in 2011. That's how long I hung on. And then my last career before I started my own company was working with an organization called Sandler Training. Oh, yeah. And I was supposedly one of the top sales trainers in the country. I don't know what that means other than I'm really good at flapping my gums in front of a room. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so funny. We've got a lot of parallels. Um, I was a commercial printing buyer for years. And so I'm very familiar with print sales. Oh, dude, <clears> we <throat> should totally have a whole episode just on the <laughs> selling to a buyer and having to deal with print sales guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I enjoyed it. I'll tell you when I was talking earlier about how sometimes people have a negative connotation about sales. People have a negative connotation about doing sales. And a lot of people have fear of salespeople as well, yeah. because I think yeah. they're afraid that they're going to be forced into doing something that they don't want to do. And I'll tell you that I suppose before I ever started working, I kind of had that feeling. I mean, my only context for salespeople was the old vacuum cleaner salesperson <laughs> that was going to come door to door right. and like stick their foot in your door and not let you close the door until you bought something from them. But funny enough, my first job was working at as an assistant in an advertising sales department for a magazine. And so I was there up close and personal with salespeople every day. And I actually kind of fell in love with salespeople because I love how- well, you fell in love with good salespeople. With Let's good salespeople. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Actually, it's funny because I'm working with a client right now who I think has like PTSD from working in the software sales industry. And I'm sure right. like not every software company is like this, but that it was very, very cutthroat. Yeah. And very like shove it down their throat, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, talking about the print salespeople, I really enjoyed that. I worked for a place where we were doing high volume direct mail. And so we were buying a lot of printing and the relationship with the salespeople was critical. And there were often times when I would screw up on something and I'd have to call and be like, oh, I had you print the wrong buck slip for that right. you know, mailing. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I think it was fun. You know, Prior to doing that, I'd worked in St. Louis for three years and I worked for that company. But in that realm, I worked for 
Donna Heckler, who was one of the key people behind the Coca-Cola Bears. And I worked for, gosh, I can't remember Lori's last name, but she was on the Budweiser team and helped create the Clydesdales. So getting to learn from people that worked on such big teams, I got to sit through the whole agency experience. And that was fun mm-hmm. watching. We did a commercial and we also sponsored the St. Louis Cardinals. So to go from bringing in an ad and going from storyboard concept to commercial was really, really a cool experience to see and watch come through. I remember since we were a pharmacy franchise, we were doing germs and everything to get people to come into the pharmacy. And the kids had to eat these chicken wings and then that dropped on the ground as part of showing you shouldn't do this as a kid. You shouldn't eat dirty food type of things. And to do the commercial and get the kids to actually eat the chicken wings, they were putting different types of jellies on the chickens. So -hmm. when they dropped the chickens, the kids had to run and grab the chicken and bite it and then tell what kind of jelly was on there. And that's oh, how they got uh-huh. them to, to, to actually do uh-huh. it so they could film the commercial. Yeah. And the kids got so excited over it. They were running and grabbing the chicken before they could film it and all kinds of chaos ensued. <laughs> but it, it, it was a fun experience to go see big corporate marketing be done all the way from that level to national commercials, having our logo put in the St. Louis Cardinal Stadium and being mm-hmm. wined and dined by those guys. And then all the way down to having to help put the signage into small individual pharmacies. So I've had a little bit of fun of dealing with all aspects of the marketing side of things and sales side of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting as I hear you talk and I'm thinking about your career arc. It's probably a little unusual to go from (laughs) getting out of enlistment in the Marine Corps to sitting in a boardroom with the advertisers that did the Budweiser Clydesdales or the Coca-Cola polar bears. (laughs) Yeah. There was a lot of growing up. You know, my writing ability has never been the greatest. My grammar's never been the greatest. So they were sending me to classes on etiquette. They were sending me to college classes on how to write and excel. I was ambitious, which everybody always mm-hmm. loved. And I was definitely a rock the boat kind of guy, which means mm-hmm. my corporate career was only going to go so far because I couldn't shut up and just play the game. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, they really liked that. And the other hand, they couldn't keep me on a leash. So there, yeah. there's a couple of scenarios where I'm sitting in boardrooms with big companies, big brands, big names that are advising this at, and I'm told to shut up and just listen and go along. But then they say something completely stupid mm-hmm. and I'm all in. Yeah. Like At one point, a company tried to convince us that all of our people that went into our pharmacy were poor and mm. I'd seen all the stats and they were just absolutely sure. wrong. So I picked a fight probably when I shouldn't have picked a fight, but it was fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, that whole corporate politics thing mm. can be fraught for sure. I was taking a look at your bio and you, you said that you got to a point where you realized that you were living other people's dreams and, and not for chasing sure. your own. So Tell me what happened at that point. So I was working for Sandler Training. And so Sandler's a franchise setup. And I worked with an amazing franchisee. And I'd worked my way all the way up to business partner with him. And we had done millions of dollars in sales and had one hell of a run. And we'd gone out to dinner and we're just beginning the conversation of me buying them out. And I really thought that sales training was going to be my end game. That was going to be everything. And, and I was going to sail off into the sunset doing that. And everything pointed in that direction. But during that dinner, he said something that completely just flipped me on my head and set my world just down this crazy run of building my own business. And what he said to me during that dinner was, Donnie, I've loved Loved everything you've done helping us out and building this. And thank God you're my retirement plan. 
And when he said that, he said it out of love for sure. And I took it out of love. I'd enjoyed building everything that we built. I've enjoyed everything that we've done. But, you know, then I walked to my truck and I remember sitting in my truck after that interaction. I'm going, dude, what the heck are you doing? You were literally somebody else's retirement plan. And then I kind of looked back over my entire career and was wild as I realized I never chose the path. I always took what was in front of me, like HVAC. I took that job because my best friend and dad ran it. I took the job in St. Louis because an opportunity presented itself. I took the job bartending because that's where all my buddies from high school and everything were doing. I took the job at the printing place because they recruited me from behind the bar. I took the job with Sandler because they basically recruited me there. And nowhere on my journey had I picked a path and said, you know what? That's what I'm going to be when I grow up. That's what I'm going to do. I just took what was in front of me. And I realized that my entire career was spent being somebody else's retirement plan. So 15 days later from that dinner, I walked away from it all. The, the <laughs> partnership, the the buyouts, the security, the income, yeah. the everything and launch success champions. Wow. When you said that, it's very funny because I was envisioning you as like this beast of burden, right? That <laughs> he was putting his pack on you and you were going to be like carrying the load and he was going to be sitting by the pool sipping margaritas or something. <laughs> How old was he, by the way? Like, was he? He was. And 15 years, my senior, you know, so oh, okay. I was 40 years old when I made the jump. So that put him in 55, 56. Okay. Yeah. Well, so he still had probably another eight to 10 years. Of- in his mind, he had five. And he was out. But, but even so, yeah. even so, it's funny. Does he know that that's what it was? That I've said that? it on several podcasts, so I'm sure he said it. And, you know, I still love the guy to death. We're still yeah, a great sure. friend. You know, I don't think he understood the impact of his words. And be honest, I didn't understand the impact of its words when he first said it. And I hold nothing against him. Actually, I'm really grateful that the conversation happened because of the success we've found now. My only regret is I wish it would have happened when I was in my 20s. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so interesting how all of a sudden the veil can be lifted from the life that we're living. I talk about working with people that are successful, but not satisfied. And it sounds like that's kind of how you were. Like everything that you did, you were successful, but never really sort of woke up to realize like, hey, what is it that I really want to do? Very much so. You hear all these stories of these guys and gals that have the lemonade stand or they mowed lawns for a living. I was never that kid. I was never, I don't want to say ambitious, I always did really well no matter what I did, but the idea of running a business or anything like that never crossed my mind. I mean, we were a blue collar family and, Mm -hmm. you know, you worked for a living and that's what I knew. So the whole concept of doing something on my own was just foreign. And what's even more funny is when I did it, how foreign it was to the rest of my family, because nobody else in my family has ever been a business owner. They've never Mm -hmm. been an entrepreneur. So, which a lot of people can relate. There was a lot of, Hey, why don't you just go get a job? You know, what the heck? are you thinking? How are you going to make a living? All those conversations that a lot of people experience when they jump out on their own. So that's been a fascinating learning curve all the way through this to continue to figure out how to go bigger in business and to learn to turn off the noise. And it's not that people don't believe in you. They just don't understand what you're doing because they've never been there. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I come from a blue collar background too, and was the first person in my family to go to college. And I did go right into the corporate world, but it was foreign to me. I was really wide eyed and bushy tailed because I really wanted to make it, but I really didn't know how you did it. And when I hear you talk about your story and wishing that you could have done things differently, you probably needed to walk all the paths that you walked to get to the realization and also maybe to have that experience. 
For sure. I think like most people, I can look back on those experiences and say, because of that, I can do this. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that's valid. But I also believe that a lot of what I do now is sharing this story. So hopefully people younger will take the risk when they got less to lose. I mean, when I launched my business, my wife and I had already built our dream farm. I'd had a second home on the property for my mother-in-law. So we don't have kids, but we've got goats, chickens, geese, ducks, turkeys, you know, bearded dragons, sugar gliders. I mean, we've got damn near a full working zoo here. (laughs) And when I launched the business... I was for sure the breadwinner and I went from making ridiculous money to zero income and launching a business and then going about six months into the business, I'd blown through my nest egg of how long we could survive Why I tried to figure out how to run a business. And I had to look at my wife and go, babe, we're about to lose everything that we freaking own because I have no idea how to be a business owner. You know, so it was a wild experience. I wish I would have enjoyed when I was younger. Because when you're in your 20s, mm-hmm. you don't really have nothing to lose. I mean, right. you don't have mortgages. You don't have a lot of debt. You don't have a lot of people relying on you. And here I was having a farm and having two households dependent on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain. So that was a wild moment in time. Yeah. I usually coach people that are older. But if I ever am talking to somebody who's younger, I'll tell them, get clear on what it is that you like to do and what you're good at. And chart your path forward on that path. There's so many people that will, like you said, live other people's dreams or follow somebody else's playbook. And I've seen it many times where people make too much money to stop doing something that they hate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's tough. That that's a really tough place to be because like in your case you had to pretty much lay everything on the line. So obviously things have turned out okay. You still have <laughs> the farm. So tell us about your business. So we have five companies all together. So they're all under success champions. So, and it all stems from the podcast. So I found podcasting in 2018 and five months later, my show ranked number 59 across all podcasts. And I've got the cool screenshots sitting next to Tim Ferriss and Jocko and all the guys. So, So it was really fun. And that's what really set me up for success to do everything we do now. So the podcast is one business and we generate over six figures with that a year. And then we have a magazine that generates pretty close to six figures, I think at this point. We have a consulting firm where we consult Fortune 500s and 1000s on how to use podcasting as a business development tool. And then we teach underneath that consulting arm, we teach small businesses how to launch and monetize podcasts. We then have, I'll try and clean it up for your show, but it's the bad A. So it's a badass business summit. (laughs) (laughs) You can say that, (laughs) the badass business summit. (laughs) Yeah, that's not too bad. That's not bad word. That's an animal. <laughs> right. So yeah, so we have the Badass Business Summit, which we are doing our second one here in September in Texas. And then we launched Success Champions Networking as a new way to impact and change how the world networks. We launched that in March of 2020, and we've grown that to 30 states and 35 chapters across the US. And we're fixing to hit our one year anniversary on that. So, and then we're getting ready to go international with that as well. Oh, cool. So, I've gone from a guy who worked from 
others to now having a team of 20 in the various different companies we run and learning how to stay out front and evolve and take some massive risks that doesn't force my people to bet their farms all the way through. So Literally. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's been a hell of a growing experience and, and a phenomenal learning experience as well. Yeah. I love hearing that. It's definitely a cool story. So I'm really interested in what happened in that moment of truth when you had to have that conversation with your wife. What changed there that set you on the path to where you are now? Well, first, it was the toughest conversation my wife and I have ever had. It was rough because I'd promised her the world, build her a dream farm, and, and then I didn't honor my side of that conversation. But what changed was my wife. She looked right back at me. And since I could say badass, I can probably say this word. She told me to get off my ass and go sell something. You know, And it, it was the right move at the right time because trying to be a CEO of a company, as a sales guy, I never had to do operations. I never had to do accounting. I never had to do fulfillment or anything. I went and sold. Other people did all that stuff. So when I launched my business, I would sell something and then, oh crap, I've got to deliver it. Oh, now I've got to bill it. And now, oh crap, they're not paying their bills. So now I got to go chase down Mm -hmm. the money. And all that stuff, I was locked in the back end of my business and not out front doing what I'm good at, which is the sales and being the face of the company. So when she told me to get off my ass and go sell something, it was that moment of clarity for me that I had created a really crappy job for myself and not a business. So I literally had to shift gears and I was sitting across from a buddy of mine, multimillionaire, runs several companies and we were sitting down over a cocktail and I was griping and moaning, kind of letting out my frustrations. And he looked at me and goes, tell me about your business. And so I was walking through everything that we were doing at that point. And I say we were doing like I had anybody working with me. It was just <laughs> doing it all. And right. And he starts laughing at me and I'm getting mad because he's laughing at me. I'm like, dude, what the heck are you laughing at? And he goes, dude, you don't have a company. You have a job. And he goes, I want you to remember this phrase all the way through. And he goes, if you're the only one that can do it, it's not scalable. And then I looked at my entire business. I was like, holy crap, my entire business was not scalable. Yeah. So that night I kept racking my brains. I'm like, what do I do? How do I fix this? How do I change this? And I did the funniest thing ever is I wrote down every task I did in my company, everything down to taking out the trash. And I put that in one column on a yellow notepad. I drew a line right next to each one of the things up in the top right. I wrote this phrase. And what I wrote is would Steve Jobs do this task? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I love it. And then I went through each one of the tasks and I realized I was just doing a lot of crap that I shouldn't be doing. So I tell everybody that podcasting saved my business because as I found podcasting and I got to interview some of the biggest names in the world, I found myself in a spot that I could not have a crappy process and flows and systems that there had to be things put together. So it's where I learned to outsource. It's where I learned to build systems in place and operations. And as I found success with the podcast, we started applying all those principles to the company, which led us to multiple companies and allowed us to duplicate the process. And in some cases, teach others exactly what we've done. um, So you basically built an engine around the podcast and then you realized I've got this engine and I can hook it up to other businesses, right? So like your back office. I love what you're talking about here. And this actually pertains to something that I wrote about in my book and I tend to coach a lot on, and that is looking for for the leverage points. Mm. And the fact that I usually work with people that are in corporate, but what I see often is when people get promoted that they don't mentally promote themselves to that next role. And 
they're not recognizing all the resources that are actually at their disposal to get the job done. And I think a lot of people feel like they're quote unquote cheating if they're not doing things themselves. And if you're the CEO of your company, your job is to make sure stuff gets done. Yes. It is not to do it. And often it's a huge mistake to waste your time doing something that is not your highest value work. Yeah, for sure. Jim Rohn, who's one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time, he said this way in front of a crowd that I always loved. He goes, the first thing you must do is if you are handed $10 million, the absolute first thing you must do is mentally become a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And it's because if you don't, I tell everybody, I don't want to win the lottery. If I win the lottery, I'm going to lose it all. Because I don't know how to earn it. Now, if I earn the millions of dollars, I'll be able to, if I lose it all, I'll be able to create it, right? And Mm -hmm. do it again. But when you're just handed it, you don't understand it. And I think for people, as they get promoted, it's the same thing, that they have to mentally evolve into that next level, whether Mm -hmm. it's manager or CEO or director, whatever that title or role is, is they have to step into that role. And a gal on my podcast named Chris Ward said it this way, is Donnie, the CEO's job is not to hold your people accountable, their job is to hold you accountable, which was a fascinating way for me to look. And and it helped clarify for me what I've been doing a lot for my outsourcing was I would outsource something and then almost sit over their shoulder to make sure it got done. But it's just the opposite. They should be coming to me. And of course, my team's amazing now and getting it all done. But they're coming to me now with their ideas and testing and we're breaking things and learning things. And yeah, doing more. And the more we understand, the higher we climb, the more our teams hold us accountable, the more it frees us up to do the things we're supposed to be doing, set vision, be the face of the company and really grow the business. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think what you're talking about there is empowerment. And I know that for a lot of high achieving people, if they know how to do a lot of things, sometimes it's hard for them to delegate because they're afraid that somebody under them is not going to do it as well. But by micromanaging, you really create a system of fear, actually, because they're afraid that, oh, well, they're going to criticize me. And so they don't really step up or they don't feel the sense of ownership over that task. And when in fact, if you let them own it, they can step into it, maybe do it better than you, right? And come to you with great ideas. And then you're multiplying the effect of the people that you have working on your team. Yeah. I would add to that a little bit where for me, it wasn't that I wasn't sure they were doing it is I couldn't figure out how to explain it to them to get Mm -hmm. them to accomplish what I needed done. And that was a huge learning curve is most people, if you give them enough information they're going to be pretty damn successful at completing what you need done. The problem is most of us who are especially first-time business owners and the likes, we do what's called a dump and run. And (laughs) we'll bring on a staff and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, you do accounting. Great. There you go. That's all your accounting's now yours. Oh, you do marketing. Cool. Now that's all yours. And it's (laughs) like throwing a grenade over the wall and walking away. Yeah. 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 So for, for me, I had to learn to get them to what's the target. What are we trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. What's the goal? What do we need to have happen here? And oftentimes it was not their interpretation of what I was trying to tell them was wrong. I could not successfully share with them exactly what I needed done. And so that was a massive learning curve. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're launching a new podcast right now called Growth Mode. And there's 13 people on that team alone to launch that podcast. And coordinating that many people and that many moving parts, it's really good that 90% 
90% of the team are like, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's what I need. This is what I need from you. It's really mm-hmm. solid, but we've got a couple of new people on the team that haven't worked in our atmosphere. So having to learn to teach the next people coming up, mm-hmm. hey, this is the end goal. This is what we need to accomplish. Now you need to go geek out on what you geek out on and bring ideas to the table. It's not always easy to articulate that well so they can do what they're really good at. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think that what you are talking about here is starting to build a culture and a company, right? Yeah, Where people understand what's expected and, and what's allowed, what people's responsibilities are. And I can imagine that also it's difficult whenever you've been doing everything yourself, you haven't really had to step outside of yourself to say, what am I doing right now? How would I explain this to someone? You just did it, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> and then when it's time to explain it to somebody else, it takes a lot of effort to be like, oh yeah, why did I do this? I don't know. What did I do next? I can't even remember. Well, absolutely. And then you add in there like most times when a corporation lets somebody go, they usually give that job to four or five people because that one person had taken on so much and done so many things and became second nature to them. And then it didn't document any of that journey. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the same thing as a business owner. You didn't document the process, the systems, the way you did it. You just figured it out. And in figuring it out, now you're like, okay, I hired you. Go figure it out. What doesn't work that way? Because it's your company. They don't understand what's going on between your ears. So you've got to develop systems and processes and standard operating procedures for them to follow so they can find success. Yep. Yeah. So I want to shift gears and we're kind of getting towards the wrap up, but this is a little bit of a self-serving question. (laughs) Please do bring it. I know that there's a lot of people that listen that are from corporate and there are some business owners too. And you mentioned, how do you use podcasting to help grow your business? That's your specialty. So what kind of tips could you share with me and our listeners? Yeah. So a couple of things that people don't understand about podcasting. For instance, right now, this is the first time you and I have really sat down, had a conversation, got to know each other. So podcasting, first and foremost, is the greatest networking tool on the face of the earth. So what I want a lot of individuals and corporations to understand that they should be leveraging a platform like this to get into the right conversation. So I'll use a funny industry that I love picking on. So let's say you're a financial advisory firm and everybody knows if you go network or any event, anything else, there's going to be 40 financial advisors in the room, right? And it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a great career for people. What I want you to think about is a financial advisor could not do a podcast on money, right? There's too many regulations. There's too many problems with this. They couldn't do it. And nobody would listen anyways, because literally at the end of the day, most people don't give a damn about money, which is crazy in the times we live Mm -hmm. in, but it is what it is. So, but that same financial advisor probably has a hobby that they really, really geek out on. And so let's do in Fort Worth, Texas, they could literally go start a fly fishing podcast, right? And go talk about nothing but fly fishing. Now that same financial advisor could reach out to a CEO of a firm that he knows is into fly fishing, right? You reach out to the CEO and you literally say, hey, I know you're big into fly fishing. I would love for you to come tell your fly fishing stories on my podcast so we can sit down and we can just geek out on fly fishing. Odds are that CEO is going to say yes, because it hits a lot of hot buttons. One, it gets some exposure, what he needs. Two, it's allowed to see a completely different side of that CEO from a regular basis. And three, it gets him out of his normal element, right? So it's not all just suit, hardcore, yada, yada, yada. So 
when you get that CEO now agreeing to come on a fly fishing podcast, you sit down, you've got an hour to connect with an individual and not talk shop. If you were to cold call this same CEO and try and sell them financial services, you got nothing to connect on, right? You got nothing to, oh, I see you went to such and such college or, oh, whatever. You have leverage now because you're geeking out on the same thing that you both geek out on. The really yeah. fun portion of that is when you call two weeks after that episode airs and you say, hey, episode's out. Here's marketing material. You made all these little videos for you and things you guys can use. I'd love to buy you lunch to say thank you for coming on the podcast. They're going to take that lunch because you did not try and sell. Mm -hmm. And now you've created a friend that's willing to have a further conversation and can go to any industry. I just love picking on financial advisors because they're fun to pick on. But any industry can do this. From another way to look at it from a corporation standpoint is unlike like anything but YouTube, people choose to consume podcasts. Like YouTube is a how-to social media platform. People go to YouTube as to how-to something. Podcasting is pretty much the same thing. They do just a little bit more entertainment style on podcasting. Like I just launched my fourth best-selling book. And one of the things we did is I put into Google podcast, how do you market a book via podcasting, right? Because I wanted to know what I didn't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And so people are consuming podcast by choice. It's not like the car radio where you turn it on, you're going to listen what's ever there, or even serious where you can thumbs up and thumbs down you know, the songs and things. Podcasting, you usually get four or five podcasts that you're likely to listen to all the way through, and now you get a dedicated moment of time. The other portion of it makes it brilliant is people, most by statistics, listen to podcasts at home. So now they're choosing to consume content on their own time to escape whatever reality it is. So now if you're putting content out there that speaks directly to your end consumer, you start building a trust factor up over time that allows them to be more into your brand, more into your conversations and more in what you do. And that audio listening converts into real financial power when you're able to leverage that with the right audience. So use it as a networking tool, then use it as trust. Yeah, it's getting to that know, like, and trust factor. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I think there's something that's a little bit more intimate about audio than video as well. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's getting directly in the head and people can do whatever they're doing, but still just listen, Just yep. pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. There's several studies out there that show, I mean, you can go back to things in movies and stuff where if you listen to enough audio over and over again, you know, you'll get smarter, you learn things. So there's some studies and things that go right along with that. But there is something definitely about the audio side of things that when you're choosing to consume, you build a lot more authentic relationship with it and you retain the information a lot more because you're forced to be more focused Mm. on what you're listening to. But even with the YouTube side of things, YouTube is still the number one place podcasts are consumed, even though Apple Podcasts would definitely disagree with that. And they don't like people saying that, but it comes down to people still in their cars will turn on a YouTube video and then throw the phone in the center console and mm -hmm. listen to the video yep. off of YouTube, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's that thing. So corporations as a whole should be doubled down on advertising on podcasts, but not a traditional radio commercial. They should go 
listen to Work Life with Adam Grant and listen to how he does commercials Mm -hmm. and go that direction because he's got an amazing way of storytelling with commercials. But in the same token, every company should be getting their CEOs on podcasts so people can meet them because as the world continues to evolve in these younger generations, they don't want to deal with big corporation, big business. There's a reason you see Johnson & Johnson CEO on commercials and things is they got to get, it's no more Wizard of Oz that you got to get out front. It's why Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and guys have Mm -hmm. been so popular. Richard Branson's been so popular. It's because they understand the power of having their own personal brand as Mm -hmm. part of a major company. And podcasting is just an amazingly easy platform to get on regularly and have some fascinating and just wonderful conversations. And that's a fun thing is Buddy can get on a podcast with minimal effort and have some amazing conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely second that. I just started becoming a guest on podcasts last year and I really enjoyed it. So I decided to start Marketing Mambo this year and I am absolutely loving it. Well, Donnie, thank you so much for being on Marketing Mambo. Where can people find you? Well, before I tell them that, let me do one quick thing for you. So guys, if you got any value out of this podcast whatsoever, like one tip you could use, one trick you could use, do me a favor and teach somebody else how to listen to this. Marketing Mambo, what a fun podcast, what a great name. And it would mean everything to Terry if you literally told one person how to subscribe to the show. It's like you walked up and gave her a virtual hug. But if you want to come hang out with me, guys, the best way to do it is find me on any social media platform. Just look for Donnie Bovine or Success Champions. You can come get that really quick or you can send a text to 817-318-6030. Send the words, I am a success champion and I'll send you a free gift along with that. But no, this has been fun, Terry. Thank you for honoring me to come on here, have a good conversation with you and harass you a little bit. Well, thank you. I feel like I got a bit of a masterclass here having you as a guest. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll put all of those social links and so forth in the show notes as well. Thanks a lot, Donnie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.